Good morning. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. Before we start, uh, there's just one one thing, actually maybe two things that I want to say. First of all, some of you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, and I'm glad I had a a chance to to meet with many of you. Uh, First of all, we missed you. Okay, you know, some of you guys took a week, some of you took two weeks, depending on the size of the family. Someone gets the sniffles, even if it's not COVID. The way we've stayed healthy here at Calvary Chapel is by being considerate for one another. Uh, We're not big on all of the mandates, but we are big on consideration. So those of you who stayed home, just to be careful, and those of you who maybe got sick or even had COVID and you've been away, welcome back. We're glad to have you. I counted about, just off the top of my head, like 35 people last Sunday that I knew weren't necessarily sick, but maybe had been sick, uh, or uh, were just staying away to be considerate. So I just want to welcome you back. It's good to see you. It warms my heart to see our church family coming back together again uh, after that consideration. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention, and I'm mentioning this, and this is actually being recorded because for those who were not with us, uh, I just want to mention one brief announcement, and I meant to mention it last week. Wednesday nights, uh, we have been having a wonderful time together in God's Word going through First Peter. You're certainly welcome to join us. But one of the things our leadership team did, we had two meetings on this subject, actually, over the last several months. We're starting a Wednesday night program for the children, and we're going to start out, you know, just kind of getting together with a team uh, and start to talk about some of the things we want to do. Program will probably run from about 7 to about 8.30, 8.45, and uh, there's just so many young children, we feel like, you know, what a great opportunity, maybe twice a month, maybe every week eventually, but we want to put that children's program together. This is outside of Sunday school. It'll be an opportunity for the children to get together once a week. And, and socialize. They need that, right? Many of the kids are being uh, homeschooled in this church, but many kids are in remote learning, even if they are in public school. So that's part of it. The other part of it is we want to continue to build the fellowship, uh, and we want to start with ages under 10. Because I keep looking at these young kids and saying, it's their church in 10 years. Amen? Really, it's their church. So if you're interested, and I know a few of you have spoken to me, but if you're interested in being a part of that planning team, and uh, especially parents, and you'd like to be a part of this program, let me know, okay? Let me know after the service or shoot me an email. Uh, We'll be planning a meeting within the next couple of weeks, and uh, we'll get together, and we're just going to brainstorm and talk about some of the things we can do. It really is about them. It really is about this generation coming up. They need good and godly training. They need to be loved on. They need to learn about God's Word, but they need to have relationships as well. So with that, let's open in a word of prayer. We're going to be in Acts chapter 3. You can turn in your Bibles there if you'd like, but Acts chapter 3, and let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for our fellowship. We thank you for this time together. And as we saw last week, signs and wonders, miraculous things were taking place in the body of Christ in the early church. And we recognize that those miraculous wonders had a purpose, that you worked through them to get the attention of those who hadn't heard the gospel. And I pray today that all of your working in our midst would be to that effect, that the result of our spending time in your word today would be that the gospel is preached and that individuals who maybe are considering a relationship with God would give their hearts through the person of Jesus Christ to you. And Lord God, we also ask that all of us would be encouraged as we continue to know that you're working miraculously on our behalf. 
through the power of your Spirit. And we ask that you would instill these things in our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today this really reads like a narrative, so I'm really just going to read a few verses at a time and then comment because uh, it doesn't require that much commentary. It reads very much like a narrative, and that's because it is an account of Peter and John being used by the Lord to heal the crippled beggar. Let's start in chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Peter and John... In the book of Acts, chapter 3, verse 1. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk, and then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. To read that is sufficient. It's a powerful, powerful account of God's working. But I submit to you that it's really just the setup for what God really is about to do. Now, that's important, but that's, that's... the beginning of what God was about to do that day at the temple court. Peter and John were going up to the temple to pray. Now, I want to point this out. Jesus' disciples still prayed at the temple in Jerusalem each day at 3 3 p.m. This is what they did before. It's what they do now. You know, they really didn't change their routine because they had become Christians. They were still Jews. Now, that didn't mean that they relied on the Jewish sacrificial system for the forgiveness of their sins, but they prayed at the temple because, after all, that's where they had prayed their whole lives. They didn't consider their belief in Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, as a new religion. We tend to think of Judaism as one religion and Christianity as another religion. The truth is, Christianity is what Judaism ultimately became. Now, you might say, yes, Pastor Tim, but Judaism still exists apart from Christianity. And it does. And and, and I'm I'm not being anti-Semitic by saying this. Judaism eventually will once again become what it should be and was called to be by Jesus Christ himself. But that will happen in the last days before he returns, shortly before he returns to rule and reign on the earth. For now... Judaism is half the story or some of the story. It's not the whole story. And it's because when Christ and his disciples preached the gospel in the first century, there were some among the Jews, many among the Jews, who rejected Christ. So what you're seeing in Judaism today is a legacy that's built on the truth of God's word and and the promises of God's word, but those promises haven't been realized in the lives of those worshipers. Now, there are some people who are, are Jewish by birth or they're Jewish by culture, 
But for those that practice Judaism as Orthodox Jews or even Reformed Jews, they're only getting a portion of the story because their ancestors rejected the truth. And that's not a message of hate. That's a message of hope. Because, as we know, the day is coming when all Israel will look upon him whom they have pierced and mourn as one mourns for an only child. And they'll come to Christ. Now, that's not going to happen today. As, I mean, many Jews come to Christ. But as, as a nation, the nation of Israel is not there right now. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We love uh, those who love God in Judaism. But we pray for their eyes to be opened, the scales to fall away from their eyes, like Paul the Apostle experienced. And we'll get to that in Acts chapter 9. They were able to have faith in Jesus and still continue in their religious traditions and culture. So many Jews who do become Christians continue to practice, uh, they sometimes call it messianic Christianity or messianic uh, belief, but I can understand how someone who was raised Jewish, lived Jewish, prayed Jewish, and then becomes a Christian would continue in those traditions. I have a harder time understanding, not a judgment, an understanding how someone who comes out of a Gentile background like myself would adopt the Jewish culture necessarily. That to me seems a little strange, but whatever. I feel like as, a, as, as someone who was raised in a, in a church with a lot of traditions, um, I let go of some of those traditions, but when I first became a Christian, I went back to the church I was raised in. And I was comfortable going there because I was raised in that church. I noticed there was a surprising lack of spirituality in that particular church, and they weren't really in the Word, but there was some nice fellowship and worship. But I ultimately realized, well, I need something else. I need something more. I need something more New Testament, as we talked about last week. But it wasn't like I was unable to go back to that church. It wasn't, it wasn't like I, I, I couldn't continue to experience some of the religion and traditions that I did experience growing up. So I point that out because they didn't reject Judaism just because they became Christians. They were Jews. And then there's this crippled man. And isn't it a good thing they were on their way to the temple because there's this crippled man. He's being carried at the, at the moment Peter and John get there into the temple gate. And, and the gate was called beautiful. It must have been a beautiful gate. Uh, and he's there to beg for money. How many of you have ever experienced going in and out of Manhattan? Okay. Then I don't have to ask the next question. Or have you ever ridden the subway? I don't need to ask the next question, right? You have definitely experienced someone sort of asking for money or begging for money. In fact, just the other day, it was, uh, what was it, Thursday? Yeah, Thursday night. I'm driving on, uh, I I had to make a U-turn. It was Thursday afternoon. I had to make a U-turn on Crooks Avenue over here. And so I go around the loop, and I come around, like, where Elmwood Park is, and uh, there's an elderly woman, kind of hunched over, wearing a mask, and it looked like she wanted to cross the road. She had a really good gimmick. She, like, makes you think she needs to cross the road. Now, who's not going to stop and let this woman cross the road, right, by the exit? I was wondering why she was walking in this area. It's a little dangerous. But as I stopped, she came up to my window. And I said, boy, that was slick. I got to give you kudos for that because you wouldn't have gotten me to stop any other way. So I thought to myself, I said, now I know what she wants, money or something, whatever. Listen, and I prayed, Lord bless that woman. But in today's day and age, there could be 17 people under that bridge ready to just, you know, carjack me. So I, did, I said, sorry. And I kept driving. I didn't run her over. I just, you know, 
I just saw her coming. I knew where this thing was going. Over the years, I've learned that you can help people who are begging for money if they're willing to receive help. But most of the time, if we're going to be honest, it's a gimmick. This guy didn't have a gimmick. This guy had no other choice. If his friends didn't bring him or, or somebody bring, maybe he paid them, to bring him to this, to this temple gate, he wasn't going to eat. The way that society worked is, you know, they didn't have universal basic income. They didn't have any of the things that this socialist uh, administration is trying to put in place. All they had was if, if you had need, people had to show kindness and give you money. Okay, that was it. That was your only hope. Now, thank God that we have social programs for people who are truly in need. Seriously. Thank God for that. But here's what I have to say. This guy had no other way to support himself. Carried by others to the temple gate each day at 3 p.m., he sees Peter and John, and of course he begins his, his begging, which is what he did. He asks Peter and John for money as they're going to the temple. Now, think about how slick that is, right? People are going to pray in the temple. They're already trying to get religion. You know, they're already trying to get close to God. And, you know, there's this guy, and you look down, and you feel a little guilty because you got good legs, he doesn't. You think to yourself, man, this poor soul, you know, I'm going to go and pray. I might as well, you know, put my money where my mouth is and give this guy a little change. So he had a great spot. He had everything working for him, but he couldn't walk. And I'm sure, as we see in the rest of this account, that given the choice, he would rather walk and jump, but he had no other choice. And that's what he did to survive. I'm not passing judgment. I'm just making the point. Whatever he was doing, he, it was working for him because he had no other choice. So Peter and John, they asked this crippled man uh, to give them his full attention. Look at us. Now, have you ever noticed that when you walk down the subway platform, the one thing you don't want anybody doing is looking at you? Have you ever noticed that when you're on the subway or in an area, you don't make eye contact on purpose? Or is this just me? All of your defensive techniques go up. If I don't look at them, they don't exist. If you see somebody makes you uncomfortable, maybe they're handicapped, and you, don't, you, know, you just don't look. It's a natural human tendency to do that. I'm sure that very few people ever said, hey, made eye contact and said, look at us. Connect. I'm sure that almost never happened for this guy. So they looked straight at the man, a man that most chose to ignore, and Peter spoke to a man that most people would not engage in conversation, right? You know, you'd probably be like me over there at the exit ramp. I'm out of here. So the man gave them his full attention, but hoping to receive money from them. That's what this was all about. And what did Peter do? Well, we read it. He healed the crippled man, but he did it in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, I like the fact that Peter confessed he didn't have any silver or gold to give to this man. Some have looked at that and said, so see, Peter was poor. I don't know that that's necessarily true. I, I think what he's saying is, look, it's not money that you need. What you need is to be healed. Now, I don't want to take this and, and apply this in an, in an unbiblical way, but I think a lot of us think that if we just had a little bit more silver and gold, all of our problems would go away. Have you ever gotten a raise? Have you ever made a little bit more money, taken a new job, received a stimulus check? Did all of your problems go away? No, they don't. Money's not the problem. It's also not really the answer. The answer is Jesus Christ. 
And whatever it is in your life that's lacking, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, the answer will never be money. Money is a tool. It's something God blesses us with to meet our needs. But you better not be looking to silver and gold because here's the thing. Silver and gold, as we know, it's not where our heart should be and it doesn't really fix our problems. Oh, God knows what we have need of, but if you're thinking that by getting more money, you'll finally be happy. You know, I, I mention this frequently, but back in the 80s, I had many friends who got into, um, it was, what did they used to call it? I can't even remember anymore. They had a new name, and then, I don't remember. It's not important. It was some type of a multi-level marketing type thing. And, uh, you know, you got in, and you tried to sell things to people, and, and, and you know, it was all these seminars and everything. Everybody wanted to have lunch with me, you know, while, because they wanted to sell this to me, and get me involved. And the goal, the stated goal was you can be financially independent. You can be financially independent. Well, here's the truth. No, you can't. Why? Because we're dependent upon Christ, the Holy Spirit. And no matter how much money you make, you will never be able to put your trust in silver and gold. You need to put your trust in Jesus Christ of Nazareth because no amount of money can heal you of any of the needs you have. And I think what Peter is saying is, silver and gold I don't have, but you know what I have for you? Such what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. That's what the man really needed. That's what he needed. A check? A check is marginally helpful at times, but fixing the problem. Well, that's what Peter and John wanted to do. That's what the Lord wanted to do for this man. So he did have the faith to believe that he could heal this man in the name of Jesus. Peter had the faith. You, you have to have faith. Listen, I have never grabbed somebody who was handicapped by the right hand, left hand, and lifted them up and said, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. God would have to give you a level of faith you've probably never had before. Right? I mean, who wouldn't be thinking, what if it doesn't work? I'm going to look pretty foolish. I might even hurt the guy. I've seen, unfortunately, you've probably seen videos on YouTube as well, of faith healers, people who, you know, promote this stuff, and they're helping people walk. I saw one terrible video probably five to ten years ago, and I actually knew the woman. I had met her in New York, and she was in a wheelchair. And uh, they were walking her around the stage, you know, carrying her, walking her around the stage. Oh, praise God, she's walking. Yeah. She wasn't walking. They were carrying her around the stage hoping and praying that somehow she would be healed, but she wasn't healed. That's sad. Brothers and sisters, it's Jesus who decides whether someone's healed, but listen, he gives you the faith. I believe in healing. I do. But in a situation like that, he's got to give the person he's going to use absolute faith to do what he's called you to do. Now listen, I've done some things in my life that were scary. Going on missions trips, Ministering to certain people, leaving my job to become a full-time pastor. Those things were scary. They weren't as scary as maybe publicly grabbing somebody by the hand and saying, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, arise and walk. But I had no problem doing those things because God gave me the faith to do them. God has to give you the gift of faith. It's actually a gift of the Spirit to do something like this. And Peter had that faith. He openly acknowledged his own lack of resources. Look, I can't help you but he willingly offered God's resources. God can help you. I can't help you. God can help you. So he helps the man to his feet. 
And the man's instantly healed. Don't you love that? See, call me a stickler for biblical prophecy, biblical history, and biblical application, but if God's going to heal and he's going to work in a miraculous way, it's going to be instantaneous. Now, many of you have been sick and you've gotten better, and praise God for that. And we thank God. We believe God helps us to heal, but that's not a miraculous healing. A miraculous healing would be something along the lines of you've never walked in your life because you're, you're, you're crippled or handicapped, and someone prays, and suddenly you're not only walking, you're jumping. Now, why don't we see this stuff more often? Some people have said those gifts have disappeared. That's a convenient way of explaining away why we don't see it. First of all, I want to remind you that the book of Acts was written spanning a period of about 30 years. So these healings didn't necessarily happen every day either. But can I, can I just say two things about that? One, it was essential to the message of the gospel because God used things like speaking in tongues and healings and miraculous experiences to get people's attention so that they could receive the truth of the word of God. But also, I believe that more people trusted God for healing than they do today. Now, when I was in Cuba in 2004, Pastor Joe knows this to be true because that was my first missions trip, my first foreign missions trip. And uh, when I trusted God and stepped out in faith and went there, the one thing I noticed is that they had nothing they needed. Like, in other words, if you had a headache, now I'm not big on taking medicine anyway, but if you had a headache now, you'd probably go get an Advil or a Tylenol or something like that. But since they didn't have those things, by the way, they tout having a great, you know, medical system, but they, they can't get that stuff, at least the poor people can't. They would say, well, we don't have access to medicine, so what do you do? We pray. That's what they would say. We pray. When they get sick, they pray. Now, let's be honest for a minute with ourselves. When we get sick, do we pray? Maybe after we go to the CVS. So I think there's, there's elements of this that are, that are essential to the first century, but some of it, I think we would see more of it today if our hearts were in the right place. I'll leave it there. So, helps this man to his feet. And it says that the man's feet and ankles were weak. That was the problem. He had weak ankles. That is, he had some problem with his legs that he couldn't walk. The problem was mostly his ankles, but if he couldn't walk, then his legs had certainly atrophied. He certainly had all kinds of problems related to his walking and who knows what else. But we're told his feet and his ankles were weak. And Peter acting in faith and the Holy Spirit acting in power allowed Peter to receive the gift of faith and the man to receive the gift of healing. By the way, when you ask for the gift of healing, you're really not asking for the ability to heal. You're asking for God to heal. Maybe through you and through your faith, but really the person who receives the gift of healing is the person who needs it. When you think about it, right? Peter didn't receive the gift of healing. The crippled man did. Peter received the gift of faith. And both of those things are mentioned in the gifts of the Spirit. So rather than ask, oh, Lord, give me the gift of healing, maybe ask, Lord, give me the faith that you might work through me to give the gift of healing to those who are in need. That's maybe a better way of thinking it, thinking of it. So what does the man do? I love this. He, he, he does what any good Pentecostal would do. He jumps to his feet. He jumps to his feet and he walks with Peter and John into the temple courts. Isn't that great? He jumps to his feet. Man had never jumped before, never walked before. Remember, the man's feet and ankles were weak. It prevented him from walking. 
He had never jumped, never walked, probably never entered the temple courts. They didn't allow people like him to even go in there. It's about as close as he could get. He really couldn't carry someone into the temple courts. So this is as far as he could go. And now, and now, this man praised God by doing what he was never able to do before. So the people, they respond. And this is what it's really all about. It's really all about the people, not just the crippled man. The people in the temple courts are filled with wonder and amazement. You would be as well, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? This would get your attention. They saw this once crippled man walking, jumping, praising God. They recognized him as the crippled beggar who used to sit at the temple gate. Something has changed in this man's life. They're amazed because this man had clearly been miraculously healed. I don't think when the Spirit works in this way that you ever have to validate it. I think it validates itself. Now, do I wish we would see this more? Yes. Do I believe it could happen? Absolutely. But God didn't put me in charge of deciding when someone's healed and when someone's not. And you probably should be happy about that. Because it's God's prerogative to decide when he works and how he works. But I know if you're hurting and you need healing right now, that this could hold out almost false hope because you think, well, the pastor tells me that God can heal, but God isn't. Does God not like me? He's not healing me. That's not true. God works through healing. He also works through sickness, illness. He's the God of the lame, the handicapped, and the crippled, and the feeble-minded. That's a hard pill to swallow, but that's what God told Moses when Moses had these questions. And God used that to explain to me why he sometimes doesn't work the way I want him to. Okay, well, let's go to the next section here. Because now it's really, this is the point, because if you remember on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit comes down, they're speaking in other languages, and everyone's attention is put on the apostles. Does Peter begin a ministry, you know, like where it's like a healing ministry? Does he bring attention to himself? Does he start to hand out flyers? No. He takes the moment and uses it for why God brought the moment to be. He addresses the crowd that had gathered at the temple. Now, I want to point out as well, notice that that both of these times, God has reached out to people who are gathered in worship at the temple. I've always believed the number one place to find Jesus is in the church. You can find Jesus anywhere, but the number one place you're going to find him is in the church. Now, why? Because where two or three are gathered, he's in the midst. When someone comes out or comes, comes out to church and they come into the church, there's an assumption that they understand a basic fundamental truth, that at least the people there love God. So I assume that when someone walks in the back door, they're at least not opposed to the understanding of God and that he exists and that he rewards those that diligently seek him. There's sort of an assumption that if someone walks into a church, they at least respect God on some level. Now, some troublemakers may come into a church, God forbid, but generally I think you can say that. That was true at the temple as well. People didn't go to the temple if they didn't believe in God or that he existed. So their hearts are in the right place for what's about to take place. And so Peter, now let's read in verses 11 through 16, he explains, because an explanation is necessary, he explains to those gathered what had happened to the man who had been crippled from birth. Everyone wants to know. So we read in verse 11, while the beggar held on to Peter and John. That's a beautiful scene. All the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Now when Peter saw this, he said to the men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us? 
as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you, referring to Barabbas. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Amen? We are witnesses of this, that is the resurrection. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man, whom you see and know, was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you all can see. Perfect explanation as to what happened. Did Peter take any credit for what took place? Did he start the Peter's healing ministry? an evangelistic society? No. Did he receive an offering? Praise God. No. He brought the attention to Jesus Christ. It saddens me that so much of the hype and entertainment Christianity that we see in today's world does the exact opposite. Ministries are known by the name of a person. You know, I'm glad, and I'm really, really glad that I've never heard this term used. But I remember growing up as a young Christian, I would hear things like, oh, did you go to Joe's church? Did you go to Sal's church? Did you, did you go to Greg's church? You know, I would hear these things. I'm like, oh, what church is that? I'm glad to say nobody says Tim's church. I'm, I'm, I've never heard it, and I'm, I don't think anyone would say that, but this is Jesus's church. Whether I'm here or not, it has, it's, I'm, I'm just, whatever God wants to do, God does. We all know he spoke through donkeys in the past. He continues to prove that he can do that today. And aren't you glad we don't use the King James? <laughs> so I think that it's, it's obvious to me that God works through people like us. But let's give the credit where it belongs. Let's give it to God. And that's what Peter does. He explains to them, this is what happened, guys. You're wondering, you're looking, you're seeing what's going on. Let, let's, let's explain what happened here. And, and I love the way Peter does this. Then he's going to share the gospel. But first he gives them an explanation. Now the man held on to Peter and John as the astonished people are gathered around him. And they're all standing in this area known as Solomon's Colonnade. Now what's interesting to me is Solomon's Colonnade was one of the oldest parts of the temple still standing. Now a colonnade, I'm sure you know this, but a colonnade is a covered area where people can stand or walk protected from the weather. This colonnade was originally built by Solomon in the eastern part of the temple. It remained intact after the destruction of the temple by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. So this area of the temple is about a thousand years old. Think about that. So it was ultimately destroyed with the rest of Herod's temple by the Romans in 70 A.D. But at this point, it's still standing. These men are gathered there. And Peter took the opportunity to glorify God, the Father, and his Son, Jesus Christ, recognizing that the Holy Spirit had given him a wonderful opportunity to speak to his fellow Jews. I have to be honest. If God ever used me to heal someone, would my first reaction be, good, now that I got your attention, let me do what I do every Sunday? It would be really hard to resist the temptation to not make a big deal out of what God did, because, I mean, we would be overwhelmed and astonished by something like that, rightfully so. But would we have the self-control and the wherewithal to say, okay, guys, 
Just for a minute, forget about that. This is what happened, but let me now share with you how it happened and who you need to put your faith in. I would hope that would be my reaction. But in the world we live in, sensationalizing things is just what we do. Not what Peter did, not at all. It's a great, a, a great method to use. When something sensational happens, make it about Jesus. So this miraculous healing, it caused a large crowd to gather, as you can imagine, around them. And Peter receives more gifts of the Holy Spirit. He had received faith. Now he receives the gift of teaching and evangelism. And he begins to teach the Word of God and share the gospel because the Holy Spirit empowered him to do it. He had done it just recently on the day of Pentecost. And so he asked the crowd, why were they so surprised? And why are we so surprised when God works in a wonderful way? Well, I would suggest the reason we're surprised has to do with the fact that we have a lack of faith. I would suggest that if if you weren't really surprised by something like this happening, you probably have the faith that God might use you to bring it about. But you got to ask God for that kind of faith. Do you believe that God can do all things? Can I hear an amen? I do, but not always through me. Can God use you in a Sunday school class to teach little children the truth of God's word? Can can God use you to go on a mission trip and reach people with the gospel? Can, Can God use you to share the gospel with your neighbors? Well, do you believe that? Because he can. But if you don't have the faith to believe that, then you've got to ask God for the faith first. And then he'll give you each and every gift you need to accomplish the task he's called you to. But he has to call you to it, obviously. So he asks the crowd why they're so surprised that this man had been healed. Now, they had seen Jesus heal many people, right? Over the last several years, they had seen this happen in, in, in an amazing way. Hundreds, possibly thousands of people all being healed. They should have realized who was ultimately responsible for what just happened. But right away, now they're thinking, who are these guys? What power do they have? So he asked the crowd why they thought that he and John... Peter, asked the crowd why they thought that he and John had made this man walk. Why do you think it's us? Why would you come to that conclusion? Isn't that amazing? Peter actually was used by God to heal a crippled man miraculously. And the first thing he says is, why why do you think we had anything to do with it? Now, we got to stop taking credit for the things that God does, whether they be healings, sharing the gospel, preaching, missions, whatever it is. If God does something miraculous and wonderful in and through your life, can I just encourage you, maybe start with, I don't know why God chose to use me, but praise God that he did. And then when people start to say, ooh, can I touch your hand? Can I get the holy hanky? Can I, can you like, can you breathe on me? Well, maybe wear a mask. Um, you know, can, can you, can you do something? Cause you apparently got the juice. You got what it takes, right? I, I need some of what you, rather than doing that, maybe stop and say, if God can use that bozo over there, He can use his clown. Maybe your faith can be increased by the fact that you know that God can use anyone that puts their faith in him, even like this. I pray every day, God, if you're going to do something like this, do it in a way where more people get saved than just one guy gets healed. God knows what's best. So why were they surprised? They were surprised because this kind of thing, they didn't expect it would happen. And that's part of the problem. We need to have a higher expectation of God's work. But he asked the crowd why they thought they had anything to do with it. Now, his disciples had healed many people. Are we forgetting that? Jesus sent them out. They did these things. This isn't the first time. 
But there was something about when Jesus was around that was different than now. He had healed many people, but his disciples had healed many people within Israel over the last few years. Now, when I say they healed, it's really the Holy Spirit working through Jesus and his disciples. They should have realized that he and John had no power or godliness apart from Jesus. And he says, don't think it has anything to do with any power that we have. Now, notice he also says, or godliness. So, so notice, God didn't use Peter and John because they were powerful or because they were good. Guess what? You qualify. Because you're weak and you ain't that good. In fact, you're kind of bad. You fail a lot, don't you? you? You don't have what it takes. What are you doing here today? Well, I'll tell you what you're doing here today. You're bought by the blood of Christ. You're weak and you're powerless and you're not godly and neither am I. And guess why God works through us? For his glory. That's the message that Peter gives to them. He revealed that God had glorified his servant Jesus and that Jesus had healed this man. And that's what he says in verse 13. Now, Peter then reminds those in the crowd that uh, they were guilty. Now, we mentioned this in the past. We mentioned this a few weeks ago when we looked at the sermon on Pentecost that Peter gave. Most pastors, when they have a full house, will avoid the the subject or the topic of sin or repentance or making people feel bad like there's something wrong. I just told you you were no good, right? I did. Because that's true. You're not. Neither am I. Most people are going to flatter you. They're going to, you know what? You're good. Give yourself, you know what, brothers and sisters, give yourself a pat on the back. Why don't we give ourselves a hand? You know what, pat the person on the back. No, well, maybe, maybe not now. Maybe not with COVID. But like, make everybody feel good about themselves. Then maybe they'll come back. Maybe they'll write a check when we pass the plate. That's the mindset. Let's be honest. That's the mindset. Make you feel good. You want to go home feeling good. No. The only one way you're going to go home feeling good, and that is if you give your life to Jesus Christ. If you don't, you're going to go home feeling lousy. And that's the truth. And you should go home feeling lousy if you reject Jesus Christ. Because the truth of the gospel is if you do, you're going to hell for all eternity. Dead in your trespasses and sins. I didn't make up these words. These are words from God's word. So what do we do about that? I mentioned it two weeks ago. Peter, first thing he does, starts with sin. Guilt. Repentance. The need for forgiveness. You know, the thing that most people are afraid to talk about? There was an issue. There was an elephant in the room, so to speak they had consented to Jesus being put to death. They were guilty of rejecting Christ and having him put to death, and he goes for it. Peter really goes for it. He reminded the crowd, they were responsible for Jesus' crucifixion. They had chosen to hand Jesus over to the wicked Romans in order to have him crucified. They did that. They had disowned Jesus before Pilate when Pilate desperately wanted him to go. Imagine a wicked Roman governor... Like Pilate said, I want to let this guy go over and over again. He tried to figure out a way to get Jesus out of his court, out of his palace. And these people insisted that they put Jesus to death through crucifixion. How could Peter not mention that? And yet today, many people, when they share the gospel, are afraid to tell someone, you know what? You're a sinner in need of salvation. But here's the good news, the gospel. Here's the good news. Christ died to save sinners and rose again to give you newness of life. And all you and I need to do by grace, to as many as received him, to those that called upon his name, he gave them the right to be called.
the children of God. You want to be saved? Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God the Father raised him from the dead and you are saved. But it doesn't happen if you don't repent. Repentance is the first step towards a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you can't talk repentance until you talk sin. And these guys were guilty of the sin of rejecting Jesus Christ and having him put to death and even preventing him from being let go. Now, of course, this was all according to God's will, but that doesn't get them off the hook. They had asked Pilate to release Barabbas, a murderer, and they disowned the holy and righteous one, Peter tells them. They had consented to kill the one who created all life itself. Imagine that, the author of life, he says. Now, Peter testified that God raised Jesus from the dead and that he and John had seen him. That's what he says there. Look at it again in verse 15, I believe. He said, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Witnesses of what? The risen Christ. And they were. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, the man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing. Notice complete healing to him as you all can see. So Peter made that clear, testifying that God raised Jesus from the dead. Can I hear an amen? They had seen him. And then Peter testified that the power of faith in and through the name of Jesus completely healed this man. When we are miraculously healed, it is by faith in Jesus Christ that we're healed. Period. It is by faith. God does his work through faith. Now, the man was healed through both Peter's faith, right, and his own faith in the name of Jesus. What do I mean? Well, it took faith, as we've said already, for Peter to say that he had, uh, that, that he had nothing to give him, but he could give him, through Jesus Christ, healing. It took faith to do that, to do what he did and say what he said. It also took faith for the crippled man to take Peter's hand, his right hand, and to try to stand up. Now, here's where we come in. God may want to do a work, and he reaches out to us through someone, or even directly, and we say, Lord, you wouldn't heal me. I don't believe that. I'm a secessionist. I don't believe the gifts are for today. We pull our hand back. Remember the man with the withered hand? A withered hand means you can't use it, right? So here's the guy with the withered hand. Jesus says, stretch forth your hand. What is that, a joke? You picking on the guy? What, are you making fun of him? He can't move his hand. Why would you say something like that? And why did the man with the withered hand stretch forth his hand? Because he had faith. There's a lot of things you can't do. Some of you may be limited physically or emotionally. Jesus would say to you today, stretch forth your hand. Like he said through Peter. He reached out his hand. And the man, something in, 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 in his heart, something God did, said, what do I got to lose? You want to help me up and tell me I can walk? Reaches out his hand. So faith on the part of Peter and then faith on the part of the crippled man brought about this wonderful work, but it was a work of God. It was a work of God. God had healed the crippled man by faith in the name of Jesus, not the name of Peter, not the name of John, the name of Jesus. Amen? All right, so let's wrap this up. Here's the point. All of that took place, the healing, the explanation, and now Peter is going to do what... God really wanted to happen more than anything else, and that's to give people an opportunity to hear the gospel and come to Jesus Christ. I've already shared the gospel with you, but let's go through this as Peter shares it. 
In verses 17 through 26, we'll read it in its entirety. Now, brothers, now here's the point, Peter says. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, referring to rejecting Christ, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that as Christ would suffer, repent. See that word? Repent, change, the change of mind and heart. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. I like that. Wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Christ, the Messiah, who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people, and you must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. And that gives us the answer to, does Judaism really exist today? Culturally, yes. Religiously, not, not really. It will be restored when Christ comes again. Well, indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken and foretold these days, and, and you're heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offering, all peoples, or excuse me, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. And when God raised him up, or raised up his servant, he sent him first to, uh, to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Now, that's, that's the message. That's what's recorded. But all the essentials is, are there, as we'll see. Let's go through it quickly. He's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching the word of God to his fellow Jews. Took advantage of the opportunity. A crowd has gathered, for obvious reasons. And Peter encouraged his Jewish brothers, who were responsible for Jesus' crucifixion, acknowledging that they and their leaders did not know what they were doing. You might say, well, yes, they did. Well, what did Christ say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They were acting in ignorance, and there are many people that act in ignorance today. God had allowed Jesus to be arrested by their leaders as it was his predetermined purpose. But understand something. Predetermined purpose doesn't take away the free will of man. See, God is sovereign, but man has free will. Oh, it's not my fault. God, God said it was going to happen. I had no other choice. No, we always have a choice. But God knows what's going to happen, so it's his predetermined will and purpose. I know that freaks out a few people theologically, but you have the sovereign will of God and the free will of man, and both can exist at the same time. That's how sovereign God is, that he can give free will to his people and still be sovereign. That's, that's, that's sovereign. So, God had foretold through all of the prophets that Messiah would suffer, and he had fulfilled his word by allowing them to hand him over to be crucified. That's what Peter wants them to understand, that even though they did it, God knew it was going to happen, and now they can be saved. So he calls them to repent of their sins and turn to God. Step one in sharing the gospel. We've mentioned it already. You've got to change. You've you got to repent. You've got to be forgiven. So, what does he promise? He promises that the Lord will completely forgive their sins. I like that. Wiped out. Isn't that a good word? Wiped out. Completely forgiven. Now, there are people today who think that they still have to work towards that before God will completely forgive them. Or, 
God forgave their sins, but now every sin that they sin since they've been forgiven, it's on them. And they have to do penance for that. And if they don't confess it exactly or within the 24-hour period, they're going to lose out on the opportunity of forgiveness. When we have been forgiven, past, present, and future, for all of our sins, I need an amen. Forgiven, completely forgiven. Wiped out. I like wiped out. That works for me. So he promises the Lord will completely forgive their sins. He promises that the Lord will provide them with times of refreshing. I love that word. You know, the word refreshing in the Greek means to be revived or to breathe again. To be able to breathe again, to be revived. As if you drowned and someone pulled you out of the pool and resuscitated you. Does that sound like being born again? It does because it is. This is the new birth which is the result of repenting of your sins and turning to God. Do you know you can't be saved and born again unless you repent of your sins and turn to God? So we better get that sin issue out on the table right up front if we expect anyone to be saved. Now he promises the Lord's going to send them Jesus Christ, who had been appointed by the word appointed or anointed. That's really what Messiah means. So if you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, these things are essential. They're not negotiable. They're essential. So Peter explains that Jesus must remain in heaven. Why would he do that? I like to point this out, but if you go back to the verse 21, notice after he talks about the fact that he was raised from the dead, he says this, he must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Why would he mention that? Because if you told me in the first century at the temple that Jesus was raised from the dead, my first logical question would be, okay, where is he? And we know where he is. He's at the right hand of the throne of God. But that's the question they would ask. So Peter understands that, and he says, look, he's, he's in heaven, at the right hand of the throne of God. And he must remain there until the time comes for him to come again, and we're looking forward to that. Amen. So he must remain in heaven until he returns to establish his earthly kingdom. So we believe that Christ came, died on the cross for our sins, because we're sinners. We believe that on the third day he rose again, in accordance with the scriptures. And and we know that he ascended into heaven, where he ever lives to make intercession on our behalf at the right hand of the throne of God. And we know that he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. That's a creed. That's kind of the gist of a creed. It means, what do you believe? Do you believe that? Because if you do, you're saved. You understand that? It's by, by grace, through faith. Put your faith in that truth. God's grace will save you. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the gospel. We, got it. we could close the book now. That, that's it. That's the most important thing I could share with you today. But in it, Peter explains that these things must be according to God's word. Jesus will stay at the right hand of God the Father until... God conquers his enemies. And Jesus will come again to restore the earth to his father's rule as predicted by all the prophets. Now, what I like about Peter is now he begins to quote scripture. He goes to Deuteronomy 18 and he uses that as a prediction of the coming kingdom age of Messiah. He's quoting these verses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it's clear. Now, Moses predicted that the Lord would raise up for them a prophet. They believe this to be the Messiah, a prophet like him, that is like Moses, and he would come from among them. This is what they were waiting for. Moses warned them that they must listen and obey everything that he would tell them to do. What did they do? The exact opposite of that. 
Moses warned them that those that refused to listen and obey him would be cut off from God's people. That's still true today. And then Peter explained that all of the Old Testament prophets from Samuel on have predicted that Messiah would surely come. See, these prophets certainly predicted Messiah would suffer. You can't read Isaiah 53 without knowing that. You you can't read Psalm 22 without knowing that. But the prophets also predicted that Messiah would restore the earth to his father's rule. And that I'm looking forward to. Can I hear an amen? That's our hope. The blessed hope of his appearing. Then, Peter quotes Genesis 22 as a confirmation that the Jews were the heirs of God's messianic promise. This is truly an act of God reaching out to the Jewish people by his grace. Notice in verse 25, I'll read it again. In verse 25, Peter quotes from Genesis. He says, And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on the earth will be blessed. Through your seed, it's a singular offspring. He's referring to Messiah, of course. Now, we're almost done here. I don't want to lose you. But his quoting of this verse, again, is inspired by the Holy Spirit. What is he doing to these people who are guilty of putting Christ to death? Assuring them that they have inherited the messianic predictions of the prophets. Assuring them that they are heirs of God's covenant like their ancestors, like Abraham. You see, God had promised Abraham that through his offspring, Jesus Christ, a descendant of Abraham, all mankind would be blessed. Or did you miss that? Through your offspring, all the Jews would be blessed? No. All peoples, Jews and Gentiles, on earth will be blessed. That's a wonderful promise. A wonderful promise. Peter explained that God raised up his servant Jesus to first bless his people Israel, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Look what it says there in verse 26. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. You know what Peter's saying? You're the Jews, and yes, you're guilty, but you can be saved. What a wonderful message of hope. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Peter explained that that God raised up his servant, Jesus, to first bless his people, Israel. When he says raised up, it's, it's not necessarily the resurrection. Raised him up as a man. See, Jesus was sent to God's chosen people to bless them. How? By calling them to repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. They would be blessed as they responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you and I, we will be blessed if we respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They would respond by repenting and turning from their wicked ways, and that's the only acceptable saving response to the gospel message. It's repenting and turning from your wicked ways. Oh, Pastor Tim, I'm too wicked. Did you, did you put Christ to death on the cross? When they wanted to let him go and you yelled, crucify him? No. So what sin could you have possibly committed that Jesus cannot forgive today? Oh, Pastor Tim, I think I've committed the unpardonable sin. Well, if you continue to reject him, you have. Oh, I feel like I've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Well, if you keep saying that Jesus isn't real and the gospel isn't true, yes, you have. But if you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. You want to be saved today. I hope you want to be saved. I pray you want to be saved if you're not saved already. Jesus would soon bless all mankind through the preaching of the gospel, all mankind, 
That is, at this point, it was just the Jews. But it's the message, it's the power of God for, to salvation, first for the Jew, for all who believe, first for the Jew and then to the Gentile. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for this message of hope and grace. And we now ask, very simply, that every heart here that is on the fence hasn't responded to this message of love and grace and asked for forgiveness would, at this moment right now, simply cry out and say, Lord, Heavenly Father, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. You rose again on the third day and you're coming again. And I've received this truth and I've received you in my heart as my personal Lord and Savior. And I've believed on these truths and what I desire now is to be called your son, your daughter. To be a child of God. And I know that there's nothing I have to do. I only need to cry out to you and repent of my sin and my wicked ways. Give my heart to you and call upon your name. And that I'll be saved from eternity apart from you, from hell, and filled with your Holy Spirit, and made your child. The rest of us, Lord, who have already given our hearts to you, restore our faith. Give us the gift of faith to see you work in amazing and wonderful ways. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.